if you're close, you're below the line. Mm-hmm. because the reality is something always goes wrong. A machine goes down. Some test takes longer than we had expected. And so we need to bias how we cram things in, so to speak, yeah. with the reality that not everything works as flawlessly as we think. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're having a great week out there. And wherever you are, if you're sliding into the fall period or the spring period, depending on what part of the world, I hope, I hope you're enjoying the change of seasons. My guest today is Dave McAdam, and Dave is the Director of Portfolio Management for Global R&D at a company called Novellus. And this is going to be a fun, a fun chat with Dave for two reasons. One is he's always fun to talk to. He's, he's been, a, been a good uh, friend of our company for, for quite a long time. And the second thing is his business is really interesting. So Dave, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Paul. Where are you located? Where are you calling in from? So Nivellis is headquartered in Atlanta, and we have our hub of our global R&D network in a suburb, Kennesaw, and that's where I'm calling in from. Very good. Very good. And so let's talk first about, before we get to you, let's talk about Novellus. I mean, not everybody may know that company. I think it's, it's an awesome company. So tell us about Novellus. Yeah, we're one of those companies that everyone interacts with, but is rarely aware of. So we're the world's largest flat rolled aluminum producer and the world's largest recycler of aluminum. So if you're drinking a can of Coke while you're listening to it, odds are pretty good that it's Novellus Aluminum. We're in over 300 automobiles. We're the world's largest supplier of aluminum to the automotive industry. So if you're driving a F-150, it's Novellus Aluminum that you're looking at. And we're also in a variety of other industries, aerospace, electronics, building and construction. So we're kind of everywhere that you might not realize. And a lot of people interact with our products or the products that our products make on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, think of how many how many millions of people <laughs> touch a pro- your product in some way. That's a great story. And, and I, I, I guess these different aluminums... They're different, right? It's not just, there's there's technology in here. There's innovation. There's a lot of things that go on behind aluminum. Absolutely. And and even more, more associated now with sustainability that increases those challenges and increases those opportunities. So yeah, different performance characteristics for the given application. We're always focused on light weighting. So we allow not only more cans to be shipped at a lower carbon footprint through light weighting. But we also work to increase your fuel mileage by lightweighting your car or more commonly now addressing range anxiety by letting you get a little bit further on a given charge with lighter weight aluminum solutions. It's really exciting. And so what, in your role, Dave, as director of portfolio management, what, 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 is that, what does that role consist of? So Novellus has a long history of research and development, enabling new applications for aluminum in all of our end markets. And so we continue that legacy in a large global organization. We've got 14 R&D locations around the world, and we run concurrently a few hundred projects. So my role is helping to coordinate which projects we're going to do, how they're prioritized, resourced and maximize the impact of the global R&D organization to the business. Yeah. 
So I guess in order to do that, you need you need good data, right? That's that's probably essential. Makes it a lot easier. Yep. Yeah. So maybe share some of your thoughts about that, about the the type of data and what good data looks like and bag data, some of your experiences. Sure. Good data is essential if you're going to be making the best decisions possible. So whether it's uh, trading off one project versus another that are vying for the same resources or the same budget, understanding what is required for a project to be successful, both in terms of the human resources, the budget, the level of investment with your manufacturing operations, the being able to rely on that data is the only way that you can make those decisions and make them consistent and maximizing that impact that I mentioned earlier. And it's not easy. It's not easy because we're globally distributed. We have a very large portfolio and our portfolio is made up of a tremendous number of unique types of projects. It could be alloy development, coatings, we do a lot of work in forming. So a lot of heterogeneous portfolios that all need to be in some way consistently assessed and compared and prioritized against one another. And that is a uh, non-trivial task. Uh, let, let's just talk a little bit about metrics. How many do you have in such a diverse portfolio? Is it dozens, hundreds, thousands? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we try not to because there's diminishing returns as you get more and more metrics, they become less and less useful. Really, we, we focus our metrics on, on, first and foremost, what's the goal of the metric, right? Measuring something is, it can be interesting. And certainly we've got over the years, lots of times where we just created a metric because some executive yeah. was curious. Uh, we try to avoid those. What we really focus on is, is behavior. A metric should be defined because you want to change a behavior to lead to a different outcome. And we've done that well, and we've done it poorly. Years ago, we did a vitality index and pretty typical. It was measuring the percent of sales that are coming from innovation or from R&D. The problem we had was we were trying to motivate breakthrough innovation. We were trying to motivate step change. The history of Novellus is a strong history of continuous improvement uh, and sort of incremental type of development efforts. We were really good at that. We didn't need a metric to motivate that. We needed one to motivate step change. The problem was when the metric was originally uh, designed, it didn't differentiate. And so essentially it began to measure what we were already doing really well. It became the proverbial feel-good metric. Mm. Whereas a metric designed to motivate change has to really measure the outcome that you're seeking of that different change in decision-making and change in method. So we more recently relaunched a Vitality Index. We call it our customer value innovation metric. And it actually has an adjudication process that clearly differentiates incremental innovation from more of the step change, because that's the, the behavior we're trying to change. Yeah. So I'd say that it, the big thing is, it's always tempting to define a metric because you happen to be curious about it, but every metric you add runs the risk of diluting the ones you already have. And that's a risk we try to balance, especially when we're in a relatively dynamic environment like Novellus plays in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this, this selection of metrics is a challenge for a lot of companies. As you said, many times it's, well, let's just put it in there. We have no other place to store it. Our innovation system has all this product data. 
why not why not put it there right and then all of a sudden you've got all these all this these metrics that just all of a sudden appear another case is one country says well i need this data and another country says well i need that data right and it just mm-hmm. it can proliferate so fast have you experienced that oh yeah for sure i mean especially with well-intentioned stakeholders they look at the breadth of data you have and they get curious. And I've often had to push back on, again, well-intentioned stakeholders and executives. They say, well, can you tell me, can we start asking people when they do their projects to give us this information? You got to push back and say, well, what decision will that help you make? What is the purpose behind that? Because when you ask a project manager or program manager to spend their time to track something, if it doesn't have meaning, if it doesn't provide the ability for leadership to make a decision or uh, guide the uh, execution of the project, then it's nothing but administrative burden. And you're going to find really quickly that people recognize it for that. And you're going to have adoption problems and quality problems. And ultimately, you're diluting the effectiveness of the organization. So my team was always fielding those requests. And they often just come back down to what would you do if we gave you this information? Mm. And if it's nothing more than you'll look at it and think it's interesting, then we're not going to do it. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I think people listening are going to say, adopt some of that approach as well. I really like your idea of using metrics to drive change. Change is, is really important and selecting maybe new metrics which encourage change in a direction you want to go. I think that's a really neat idea. I had never heard it phrased exactly that way, driving change with metrics. Yeah, and it's also the case too that you've got to be very mindful on not only how you're structuring your metrics, but how you can deploy them and sustain them. One thing that we we often find is there's a lot of temptation around subjective metrics. So Mm. at Novellus, we use predominantly three quantifiable metrics of business impact to prioritize our portfolio. And they're developed in partnership with other parts of the business. As I say, there's sort of, there's a rigor behind them. But there's always a temptation. And over the years, we've explored different options to have some level of subjective metrics, right? Something that allows the project manager to communicate let's say, the level of strategic relevance of a project, which, of course, sounds great. And it would be a wonderful thing to be able to normalize your portfolio on strategic relevance. The problem we found with these subjective metrics is they're incredibly hard to deploy and have done essentially consistently across the organization. So we are, as I said, we're we're globally and culturally very diverse here at Novellus. And what we found is you can ask 100 project managers to assess the strategic relevance of their of the same project, and you'll probably get, if not 100 different answers, certainly a heck of a lot more than you're yeah. wanting. And it really hurts your ability to make decisions. So we often are challenged with, when you think about a new metric, you've got to be real mindful on how will you successfully deploy, train, and sustain the quality of that, because a poorly executed metric is actually worse than no metric at all. And we found that there's certain cultures that if you ask on a scale of five to, to rate something, certain cultures will never give you a five out of five. doesn't matter what you offer. It doesn't matter how amazing it may be. It's yeah. just, it's never perfect. And, and that's fair. Whereas there's other cultures that'll 
sort of have a bias to the extremes and always give you a five out of five or a one out of five. And while that can be interesting and informative and even manageable in a smaller organization where you can work collaboratively to normalize that and still make decisions, in a company uh, as large as Novellus with a portfolio as large as ours, that ends up becoming just you're chasing your tail, trying to yeah. get this all normalized to be able to make decisions. So it's, it's a real challenge. Yeah. Any, any techniques you found that help with that challenge? Well, we focus a lot on having local sort of advocates, right? Or, or let's say champions, if you will. So when we deploy something new, whether it's a metric or a, a new governance, a new way of managing our projects, we always look for people who are based locally, ideally can speak the language or languages of the particular site that they're based and can help with that normalization, can help advocate for the change, can help guide and sustain that change locally, but in close partnership with with my team and sort of being more globally coordinated. Mm-hmm. So I would say that it's an ongoing challenge because whether it's the culture, the language, or just the breadth of our portfolio, it's never as easy as just trying to trying to measure a handful of projects in one site. Yeah, gotcha. That's very, very good advice. Thanks for sharing some of that technique. Dave, portfolio management. So we just got back, I just got back from our, Sofian has a annual user conference. We do one in Europe. We have one coming up in uh, North America. And the European conference, portfolio management was without a doubt the hot topic. It seems that companies are getting Maybe they've already now got to a point of, okay, the base processes are working. We've, we've optimized how we, how we make decisions. Our governance works and portfolios is a lot of interest now in, in what is a portfolio? How do you manage a portfolio? And, and, and so you had mentioned in your, a lot of that is what you do. So can you share some thoughts about portfolio and how you see it changing? And especially when it comes to how do you do prioritization? Right. Yeah, no, great, great question, Paul. And it's definitely evolving, whether it's the adoption of new digital tools that are kind of changing the way R&D operates or just our increased geographic diversity. Prioritization is, is one of those things that it sounds so simple and the reality is so complicated. We do it, again, based on those three metrics I mentioned earlier. We've got our, our version, the Vitality Index, CVI. We have an internal sort of a cost reduction metric that measures the impact to to EBITDA from a particular initiative. And of course, being a world leader in recycling, we have a sustainability metric that quantifies the impact on our decarbonization that's associated with a given project. So we take those three and we sort of prioritize the portfolio based upon those opportunities. But the challenge we always have, and it, it becomes kind of a change management and a communication challenge, is prioritization is only relevant when you have constraints, right? If you had limitless budget and limitless resources, you wouldn't need to prioritize. You would simply do everything. Obviously, that's not the case in the real world. And so you have to be really mindful on when you're prioritizing, what are you essentially trying to distribute, right? And on the one side, if you're trying to distribute budget, it's relatively easy. Dollar is a dollar. And we can prioritize that pretty trivially with those three metrics. Where it gets a little bit more nuanced, is with resources, right? So as you can imagine, a global R&D network like uh, Novellus is made up of scientists in alloy design and surface, tribology, 
We've got deep expertise in engineering and manufacturing. And all of those are needed in differing amounts and specific skill sets across our portfolio. And so when you're prioritizing one project against another, it has to be because there's a constrained resource, because there's something that you need to trade off between the two. And so I'm always reluctant to share any sort of enumerated list of projects that, hey, this is priority one and all the way down to the end of the list, because if projects are not in competition for resources or budget, their position on the list is somewhat irrelevant. Although it is a passionate debate with certain Mm. people where they want to see that their project is absolutely above this other project, when in reality, it may not even be a relevant distinction because they're completely independent resources. Yeah. Fascinating. I've often go back to some of the early things I was talking to people about in in portfolio management. And above the line of where resources start to run out really doesn't matter. And Below that line, it's it's along that line where the hard the hardest point is. Okay, this one can be in, and this one cannot be in. Right, that's hard. And one of the experiences was really interesting, and, and this kind of came in part when we deployed Accolade, was we suddenly had all this data. Right, we had all this high fidelity data about what skills were required for what project. And what was the capacity of that skill set, right? So we had mechanical testing, which is very common. It's used on almost every one of our projects. Mm. There's a a lab, typically a lab in every one of our locations, and it has a certain amount of capacity, right? How many hours a day times the number of people in the lab. And you've got the project asking for so many X hundred of hours over a period of a month or, or a quarter. And what you find is there's always a temptation to say, well, if we just shrink the request by a couple hours here, a couple hours there, we can fit in one more project above the line in order to get it to be fully resourced versus having it fall below the line and potentially be deferred or or closed. Uh And it's kind of the quintessential greenwashing because you fool yourself into thinking that your projections are so flawless And you can trim a half hour here. Maybe this guy won't go to lunch. Maybe this guy will come in 10 minutes early. And and it's all fake. It's all a fallacy. And so we learned that when you do that, it didn't take long until you were essentially burning out these labs because you had really just tried to play Tetris with something where you didn't have that much data. And so we take the opposite approach now which is if you're close, you're below the line. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is something always goes wrong. A machine goes down. Some test takes longer than we had expected. And so we need to bias how we cram things in, so to speak, with the reality that not everything works as flawlessly as we think. That's fascinating. It makes so much sense, right? You need that, you need that, that buffer. I love that. I love the playing Tetris with the resources because <laughs> that is what somebody was trying to do, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's so tempting because you have so many significant digits. You're it's the it's the fooled by precision when in reality you're not accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you had to define what yeah, what's a portfolio? Are you able to define that? Because that's a, there seem to be a lot of people now starting to ask. Well, wait a minute. A portfolio is not a report. It's something else, right? And we've had people talk about my 
time to cash portfolio or my environmental sustainability portfolio? What's your definition of a portfolio? Well, that's a good question. Because I would say, as, as I'm thinking about it, it, it really is evolving. It depends on the context of the question. Yeah. So for instance, we've got large portfolio within global R&D. There's other functions within the business that are doing different types of development. Yeah. And there's inevitably a lot of interplay, a lot of interrelationships. And so one of the things we focus very heavily on is constructing a portfolio based on the goals that you're tracking against. So going back yeah. again to, to metrics. And so we pull together our, our projects into portfolios that are aligned to a particular customer or a particular opportunity. Because the most important thing to recognize is customers in general don't really care if a project's being done within global R&D or it's being done in manufacturing excellence or it's being done somewhere else. At the end of the day, you've got to deliver. And so we try to build these portfolios essentially organizationally agnostic and just focused on the deliverable at hand so that we can prioritize those projects, sequence them, and ensure that they are executing on track for that deliverable. And we do similarly with our sustainability agenda or with our uh, fundamental knowledge, right, which is kind of the bread and butter of of R&D where you're investing in the underlying technologies that are going to underpin your organization for the years and uh, decades to come. And so to me, I mean, it's hard. Portfolio is is a group of projects, but what matters is how you constructed it and what's the goal that you're pursuing. Yeah, I, I like that. Portfolios have meaning, purpose. They have data. They have goals, as you said. If you don't have those figured out, you're you're kind of listless a bit with your portfolio, right? Just, you don't have an aim. You don't have an objective. And I like you've got your obviously your organizational aspects to it that you have, but you also have then your your customer and your market, and that's putting that first and foremost makes makes a lot of sense. So, Dave, when you think about portfolios, you think about the change that that you've seen, the organizations having to change. I'd love to hear your thoughts on on that. Yeah, I think one of the biggest areas, well, I guess there's really two. One is obviously sustainability, right? And so sustainability at a company like Novellus, we've been focused on sustainability before it was cool, right? Where the uh, recycling is core to our business model. It's not simply a a nice to have. It, It is literally how we do business. But it's changed in its level of relevancy to our customers. And and that's really been one of the sea changes that when you're talking about sustainability, you have to think much broader and more holistically because that's how our customers are thinking about it. They're not simply looking at the carbon footprint of our product. They're looking at how can our product reduce the carbon footprint of theirs or of their customers. And so it's a much more holistic conversation and it drives a far more, I would say, nuanced level of prioritization in the portfolio because you really need some deep expertise in the supply chain, in, in our manufacturing processes and the processes of our customers. I did some research earlier this year and actually I think I did a either a podcast or a webinar, I guess it was around the amount of 
sustainability, environmental sustainability that's in the supply chain. In some mm-hmm. industries, it's that's where it is. And it's very difficult. And you're in that supply chain. It was BMW, right? Who was, I was researching kind of how they're doing and how they're pushing that down into their supply chain. Are you feeling it coming because you're in the middle of the supply chain? You have your own supply, if you will, and then you have your customers. Are you feeling that now coming, that increase in having to be able to prove to your customers that you are environmentally sustainable and then driving your suppliers to the same to the same standard? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it is kind of the quintessential challenge in our portfolio. It is it's really driving almost every decision we make. I mean, our company's purpose at Novellus is shaping a sustainable world together. And it really drives all of our decisions, our capital decisions, our product decisions, and certainly the decisions within global R&D. And customers are so more insightful and, and challenging when it comes to not only our carbon footprint, but the carbon footprint of the entire supply chain. So without question, that is, is a focus for just about every conversation we have. Because again, whereas it might have been uh, a nice to have, now it's something that they actively market. We've got a number of customers in a number of our segments where their sustainability is on par with all of their performance characteristics. They, they report it and advocate for it and advertise it as at the same level as price and performance, which is yeah. a massive change that we're fortunate to be in the position we are being the world's largest recycler of aluminum, but the dynamics and the pressure just continues to increase. I should say too, that it also differs based on geography. And so being dependent on recycled aluminum for much of our input, when in certain areas like in Brazil, they have nearly 100% uh, recycling of used beverage cans. So the Coke can that you put in your recycling container. In Brazil, they're nearly 100%, which is fantastic because we take advantage of that as much as possible. We have different challenges here in North America because our recycling rate is nowhere near where it could be. So that's one of the things we focus on is education and advocacy to raise the awareness of the opportunity for recycling, not only aluminum, but across the board and building more circular manufacturing solutions and truly living that purpose of shaping a sustainable world together. Yeah, yeah. I know that our I'm in Colorado as we as we record this and our local sports arena has gone 100% aluminum. It's actually a ball ball the ball arena so it's related to the to the packaging. But you can just see how much that company is promoting this is the environmental benefit of aluminum, right? And everything around it, they've got people collecting cans. They've got a constant, hey, you got people walking up and down through the aisles with these big things on their back saying, throw your can in here. And it's just, it's a whole, it's a whole thing that happens. And they're using that obviously as a, as a marketing thing as well. They see that they're going to be, be able to drive more revenue and more, more business success as a result of, of initiatives like that. And you guys are right in there. (laughs) You're enabling that, making that happen. Well, and and Paul, there's no question that the whole world is growing in its awareness of the impact of the environment, in particular, younger generations where the thought of, I mean, with my kids, the thought of littering is just absolutely foreign to them. And if they see someone do it, it's, it's, they almost see it as bizarre, like seeing a unicorn walk down the street. 
And Ball is a, a fantastic example of a company that's that's really living that belief. And I should say we helped work on on the Ball Cup, which is yeah, a sustainable is awesome. based. Yeah, yeah. Replacing those those red solo cups that we all play beer pong with and making a much more sustainable solution. So we're really proud of that. I think if memory serves, that is made with 80% recycled content on average. So very, very sustainable yeah. solution that Novellus is proud to have been a part of. Yeah. Yeah, good. That's great. That's great. Dave, let me just go back to, to as we start to wrap up here, portfolio, portfolio management, portfolio optimization, those things we were talking about. What advice would you give to somebody who's saying, hey, look, we've been doing a pretty good job at, at our, let's say, our gated decision process, our governance process. It's working well, but we need to, we need to get started in portfolio now. We need to really get going. What, what advice might you give somebody? Well, at the risk of going right back to the beginning, it's, it's metrics. Decide yeah. what are the KPIs that you want to maximize and then protect them. Stay protective of what you have established as your guiding KPIs. Avoid the temptation of creating new ones because you or an executive are curious about something and, and really let it drive your decision making and, and having the rigor to to make the tough decisions based on those KPIs will will let you maximize the impact of your portfolio. But yeah, that's what it really comes down to. Great advice. Great advice. Thanks for sharing that, Dave. Did we miss anything? If we reflect back, it's been a wonderful conversation and really appreciate you stopping by and sharing some of your, your talent, expertise, experience. Is there anything you kind of say, hey, Paul, we should have talked about X as you just reflect for a minute? <laughs> There's probably only one thing, and, and people have asked me over the years how I would characterize my job. And more than anything else, more than the metrics, the systems, the governance, it's all change management. And I think that's the thing to be most mindful of when you're establishing, whether it's portfolio management as, as a discipline in your company, or it's enhancing the governance process, it's all change management. It's, yeah. it's looking to how you will deploy and train and sustain that change, how you'll get engagement in your organization and adoption. Yeah. It's, it really always comes down to prioritize the change you want, be mindful of the time it takes and the investment yeah. that it takes, and, and really always be mindful of the organization that's going to use those systems and anticipate where they're not going to like it and work through it. And just, yeah, keep focused on that as your guiding principle. Yeah. Yeah. Change is hard. Change is hard. It, it's, it, it takes a lot of effort to make change. So thanks for sharing that perspective and bringing it up. Well, Dave, appreciate you stopping by. This was a lot of fun. I think it's just great to hear from somebody like yourself who's doing the job day in, day out, and some of the challenges you have and some of the success you have and some of the advice you have. So can't thank you enough for joining us. It was my pleasure, Paul. Thanks. And to you people listening, I hope you enjoyed that. It's a lot of fun. Oh, Dave, hey, real quick, if people want to kind of connect with you, what's the best way? Probably LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way. Yeah. Okay. We'll put a link to your profile on, on our in our show notes. So good. Hope you enjoyed that. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, 
where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.